This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. To Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Carrie O'Donnell, a writer and comedian who also co-hosts Sexy Unique Podcast. Carrie, welcome to the show. Hi, Danny. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to uh, have you here. I have so often um, immensely, immensely enjoyed uh, the videos that you put into the world. Oh my God, um, thank you. Which have so much to do with like incredibly deflated moments of trying <laughs> to like turn something on or off or like switching from one conversation to the other. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I feel like you're going to be perfect for like any questions that involve like switching from one task or relationship to another. I've never heard someone describe like the little silly videos I put out that way. So that makes me feel like extra cerebral. So thank you. Yeah, I'm like really insightful. Sometimes it's fun to exist in the realm of like deflation. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that description. It's so, be- especially just like when you're trying to either like criticize or intimidate someone <laughs> and then you end that call or you end that particular discussion and you go into that totally just neutral, like staring at a self-checkout stand, like <laughs> what am I doing? Blankness. That's yeah. really, really beautiful. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I, I've been a fan of your writing for years and I think you're, this is just us complimenting each other now, but yes, it's, it's, it's mutual. I, I mean, I do think it is nicer to give advice with someone that you admire and esteem. But someday yeah, I, like I will that. try to get someone on the show where we just cannot stand each other and try to figure out how to advise a third party. I think that would be kind of punk. It would be a very stressful, like, two parents who hate each other still trying to raise a kid together, um, but on a way smaller scale. Like Cold War energy. Cold War marriage. That is absolutely an, a, an energy that I would like to bring to a future episode of the show, but not this one. This one, I just want to be friendly. Let's, and let's do it. to that end, would you mind reading our first letter? Yeah. So this is subject can't forget. My boyfriend, Chris, and I, late 20s gay guys, have been dating since before the pandemic. He was clear from the beginning that his family wasn't accepting when he came out. And as I got to know him better, I saw more red flags. His very strict religious father took out his mental health issues on the whole family, both physically and emotionally. Chris spent years in family or in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) That was a slip. Moved many hours away and only saw his parents once a year when we met. He has a loving found family, a great career, and a commitment to managing his mental health. He's barely seen his family since a blowout argument about homophobia back in 2020. The pandemic made it pretty easy to avoid them. This summer, work has taken him closer to them. and He agreed for a visit. Suddenly, they're desperate to get in his good graces. They threw a welcome party. His dad is willing to politely talk about me. I didn't ask for this. And they're acknowledging the serious mental illness that runs in the family. Chris is ecstatic, but I don't trust any of it. I'm suspicious about how all of this is only happening on his dad's terms, not Chris. There haven't been any apologies. Where were they during his suicide attempts at 2020 when he asked for help paying his hospital bills? Are they just buttering him up to try to push the church on him again? Chris is upset that I keep giving neutral responses to his excitement. How do I walk this line? Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, I felt that. 
Did you feel kind of more like familiar with Chris's scenario, with the letter writer scenario? Or are you more somebody who gets mad on someone else's behalf? I, I mean, I get like in my own relationship with my fiance, like I get, if I feel he's been wronged in any way by like anyone, I get very like, I'm sort of South Jersey Philly. So like that kind of anger comes out and I'm like, Mm -hmm. who do we have to talk to to deal with? You know what I mean? So I get very protective. So I, I do relate to the protective side and feeling a little suspicious, but I also relate to the boyfriend. Cause like it took my parents, it took my family like a few years to sort of get their heads around me being gay. Like my immediate family after I came out and now they're like super supportive, could not be more embracing of me and my fiance, but it, it take, it took a minute and I didn't have, obviously there are elements to this that I can't relate to, especially the, the types of dysfunction going on here. But I do relate to that sort of uncanny feeling of like when my parents began asking me about my gay life, it felt kind of like, you know, it, it was ecstatic, but it was also like, I felt suspicion kind of in the way the reader wrote. Um, so I relate to both of them, I think. Yeah, I mean, nothing that the letter writer has put in here made me think like, wow, this is really weird on your end. Like, why don't you think this is fantastic? And then on the other side, I could also really understand there are times when um, it can be really lovely to be angry on somebody else's behalf, but it can also go south pretty quickly if somebody isn't asking you to be that angry on their behalf. Or or at least it can like get in the way of, of handling something as a team. So you know, letter writer, you know at least that the sort of like, hey, your hair looked amazing or like the lighting was so good. Uh, Liz Lemon responses are like no longer working. Like <laughs> Chris Chris can see right through them. He knows exactly what you're really thinking when you say something like, I'm happy you're happy or like you seem pleased. Right. So yeah, I think it can like add, as you said, like can go south and it can also create conflict between you two which is just like, wasn't there before. Right. Um, You don't want to make this harder for him. No. And I think it's such a delicate line when you're dealing with someone's family, especially like someone you're in a relationship with, like you have to really toe as close and as like connected you feel to this person. You have to remember their family is still their family. And it's, it's, you know, it goes, it's deep. It's like in the genes, you know, and it's in like the marrow of someone. So you have to really toe that line even with someone that you feel as close to as your partner. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to really, you have to be delicate, I think, when it comes to family. Even if there is like dysfunction and things that you feel are unhealthy, you have to kind of toe that line carefully because it can backfire on you. Right. Just because it it really does, it has to be down to the person whose family it is to make the final call. And obviously, if the letter writer ever got to a place where they felt like, the family is mistreating him and dragging him through the same things. And I can't stick around for that because it's too much for me. That would be an understandable, if sad reason to break up. But I think just in terms of right now, the question first is like, can I control Chris's, you know, desire to connect to his family? I think the answer to that is pretty straightforwardly no. So then the next question is like, how do I behave? Like what, you know, what, what is not just being studiously neutral going to look like. And I I feel like the first thing to say is just to Chris, like, you know, I think in like the sort of spirit of like connecting with him is to sort of just be like, I get it. The jig is up. Like I've tried being just neutral and I know that that hasn't like worked for you. I, right. you know, I know you can see through it. 
So you you don't have to make it like an incredibly heavy apology, but you can kind of say like, I can see that's not working. I'm sorry I tried that on you. Um, here's my problem. On the one hand, I'm happy for you. On the other hand, you know, you've shared a lot of stuff with me about your family that sounds really painful and I feel really protective. Um, how do you want me to handle this? Like, do you want me to just kind of give you a lot of room and space on this to maybe talk about it with other people in your life, respect your choices? Um, are you prepared to maybe hear me list a concern or two of mine? Or do you just not want to hear that? Cause I won't force it on you, but I do have some questions. Do you mind if I like maybe ask you a question or two about like how you feel and what you envision or expect from them and maybe what you envision or expect from me? And that way you can kind of have a conversation where hopefully he can, uh, you know, share more about what's going on with him and you two can find some common ground that's not just like, nope, we're going to go spend every weekend with them from now on. Right. And I think I think that's really kind of managing expectations of your own and then trying to work through trying to work with the expectations that Chris has about what he wants out of this new reconnection. And I think it's really sad that I understand again that how protective this the re- the writer is because you know it sounds like he had a really tough time mentally and like I mean a suicide attempt is like that is grounds for being extra protective especially if it feels like somewhat fostered by the family dynamic right um so that is understandably I think that should be bluntly talked about just I'm you know I just want to make sure that you're mentally feeling healthy about this and as your partner, just know I'm here for you if you need to talk to me about that. Cause I, that comes first before all of this. But I think knowing that my, you know, people do change, people's opinions do change and they become enlightened in some way, either that's in a really small way or a big way. It is, there is progress. And I think while it's normal for the writer to be picking up on sort of nefarious, maybe sinister undertones like it could also just be that they have had some kind of awakening a little i don't know i mean maybe i'm being too optimistic so maybe just like be cautiously optimistic maybe or cautiously understanding right yeah i i really think that there's a lot of room in between like a full perfect amends and like total change of heart versus like some coming together and finding common ground that might feel good for Chris right now might later not be good and cause more problems. But like, it could just be like, they went two years without talking to him. They really missed him. They felt really bad. They're still kind of, you know, innately homophobic, but are at least now willing to let go of some of it or put the lid on some of it in order to reestablish some contact. Yeah. And Chris might decide that that's good enough. And again, I can really feel why, well, that's nowhere near a hundred percent we know everything that we did wrong. We're sorry for it. We'll never do it again. Here's how we're going to make it up to you. What else do you need that you might want on his behalf? Um, but, you know, it is, you know, a change, right? Like they are offering him polite acknowledgement of his relationship, um, putting a kind of emotional spotlight, welcoming him at home. Um, mm. And it sounds like at least for now, um, like acknowledging mental illness in a way that they haven't before. And Again, none of that's like, wow, you must be really unforgiving if you don't think that's amazing. I just mean like, I can appreciate why Chris finds that meaningful. Like that sounds like something they've never done before. Yeah. And I think, you know, if it comes to a place where you, the writer starts spending time with them, because it sounds like right now they're, it's mostly just polite chat about their relationship. But if there comes a time where they, Chris involves the writer in family 
quality time and, and situations like that, maybe them seeing him with having a partner that's protective and, and feeling the, that, that there is a clear boundary now, they might be deferential to that in a way because they're, they're sort of learning how to be around this, a relationship that maybe before they were not understanding of, or, but if they see you with Chris, they can maybe pick up on the fact that, you, you know, he has a new family now in a way, like he has a new support system um, and they will be deferential of that. And then in turn be respectful. I don't know. Again, this is all like optimistic, but right. I'm just basing it off the experience I had with like my parents really coming around and, and them having, you know, they're, they're very respectful about my relationship and they, and the boundaries and they, you know, they, I, they feel like very clear. And when I feel boundaries are not being respected, I say something and they listen, you know? So I don't know. I think remembering that you can't control someone. And if Chris wants to, he's going to spend time with his family you know, you can't really stop that. You can't control someone. You can't control their actions. You just have to be supportive of him and be a place for him to feel safe at home. So. Yeah. And it does seem like, you know, it doesn't sound like Chris is like talking about like moving back to be close with his family or like ignoring his found family or like blowing off his career. It does seem like he's at least somewhat aware that like for the most part, he has a life outside of them. He just is really happy that he's now able to spend some more time with them. Again, that could change. You might find that just you can't stand being in a relationship with somebody who has like a polite but homophobic family. And yeah. that might end up being a line for you that would be, I think, pretty reasonable. Of course. I agree with that. I think that is triggering for any queer person. Yeah, I, I would totally understand if anybody was just like, that's not for me. If I want to date someone, either their family is going to be totally on board and cool or they don't talk and that's what I want. Yeah. I think all these scenarios are ex- very acceptable and I think, I, I just think the writer should feel like confident that all the things that he's feeling is valid and understandable. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to deal with someone's family. Mm -hmm. It is. But I think if you can just go to Chris and say like, hey, I know what I've been offering you hasn't been working. I'm in a slightly complicated position because I want to be happy for you, but I also feel protective. Given that I'm not on the exact same page as you are, but I really, really respect that this is your family, your choice. What would you rather have from me? Would you rather have a little bit less time we talk about it, but when we do, I listen more and ask you questions and defer to you, would you mm-hmm. rather I say just like, I'm suspicious, let's take a break? You know, again, I could imagine him having a number of different reactions, but just ask, like, what do you need from me? And if he says, I need you to be as happy as I am, you know, then you can at least be honest and say, like, I don't think I can give you that. Is there anything else I can give you? Um, otherwise, like, let's have a loving and respectful fight about it. But I, I would encourage you not to say something to him. Like, I don't think that you would, but just like, I wouldn't try to push him in the direction of trying to force him into more skepticism by saying, remember, they weren't there for your suicide attempt. Like he knows that he knows that as well as anyone on the planet knows. Um, And yet he has still decided that he feels like it's worth trying to reconnect again. So at the risk of sounding politically incorrect here, like people get people get weird about their families, like friends, you know, people get it it triggers like a very like fight or flight mode, I think with people. So like, I just, 
I just think it's so important to to tread that line very carefully because people can go can snap into like back the fuck up you know what right. I mean like and that's and I've experienced I've been that I've experienced it it's like when it comes to family like and I don't mean to sound like Caroline Manzo from Real Housewives of New Jersey but like a family as thick as thieves but it's like it is true but like, people get like molecularly charged about their families so just be careful especially if they've been hurt a lot often like especially if they have felt like i've always wanted like my father's like love or respect right and i'm finally getting a little bit of it and no it's not nearly like maybe what i would have deserved but it's you know way way more than i've ever had people can get really protective and defensive of that so yeah also tread lightly not just because it's good in terms of respect but because i don't want you getting your head bitten off all of a sudden when you're like wow i thought my boyfriend really valued me who's only ever been nice to him and mm-hmm. now i bring up like one note of criticism against his father who's been in many ways a jerk to him his whole life and he's suddenly like acting like his father is this little baby bird who fell in our front yard um and i don't want you to be in that position Exactly. Yeah. And like, you know, are they just buttering up him up to try to push the church on him again? Hopefully not. Uh, you know, I would just say like cross that bridge when you come to it. Like you don't have that problem yet. Yeah. I think, I think, well, I think baby steps is, is important for everyone in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's all I have uh, for this letter. Are there any like final thoughts you have for these two? Or do you just feel like we have helped them as much as any two people can ever be helped? I think we give the best advice ever. So, no. I I just, I wish them both well. That's a tough... Sounds like you really love them, though. Yeah. Yeah, and I hope you guys can talk about this in a way that feels like you can kind of stand down from some of the more challenging elements of it. All right, I will take our second letter, which also has some, like... Uh, tendentious connections to the Bible belts and and like challenges there. So, you know, we get to keep going with our theme today. Love. The subject is don't want to abandon anyone. I, they, them, grew up in the Bible belts. Last year, someone from my hometown who's trans feminine but closeted reached out. We have a complicated history, but I tend to extend extra grace to closeted folks. Now I'm not sure reconnecting was the best decision. In middle school, they constantly pressured me for pictures in my underwear because they that's, quote, what girls do. I repeatedly said no. They persisted. I cut off contact. They remember things differently, that they came out and I rejected them. I'm comfortable holding the truths in both these experiences. When we reconnected, I was clear about my boundaries, no pictures, platonic interactions only. They constantly toe the line, and when I hold firm, they lament that my reactions are based on, quote, ancient history. The last straw was a romantic advance around Christmas. I gave up. Ghosted. I struggle with this decision. Part of their problem is a lack of language slash ability to disentangle girl stuff from sex stuff, like why I'm okay using their quote girl name but not receiving underwear pics. These are learnable skills if given the time and space. I also worry that my rejection could contribute to the violent political messages that the world thinks trans feminine people are perverts or predators. I know it's not my job to compromise my boundaries for another person's growth, but if queer people don't extend each other grace, who else is going to? I would appreciate your insight or even for language for a final message to minimize unintentional damage. I guess the upside of this letter is it's very straightforward. Like it's sad and painful, but like this person has just been harassing you. They harassed you in middle school and they're harassing you now and you feel really guilty because you want to be extra nice to anyone in the closet. But people in the closet are just as capable of harassment or sexual assault 
um, or violating boundaries as anybody else in the world. And being in the closet is not like a moral position. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that there's like a, I think queer people sometimes, and it's put on us, I think also by like the outside world, but I think in, in, within the queer community too, I think people forget that like queer people can be toxic and destructive and, and like bad sometimes. Right. Right. It doesn't doesn't matter. Like it's, you know, obviously like I, I think that you're the grace that you're giving this person is really lovely. And like, there's a lot of solidarity there with like supporting another person who's been through something similar as you. But I think they're just, they sound just kind of fucked up. Yeah. I mean, again, like it it wouldn't matter if this person weren't closeted, if they were out in doing this, if they were cis in doing this, if they were like pick an identity and pick a degree of outness and it would still be fucked up. Um, Whatever somebody is saying, like, here's what kind of person I am. Therefore, you need to be cool with sending me pictures in your underwear. That's just not true. It's not how underwear works. It's not how identity works. That's not how relationships work. So, you know, I want you to feel really free just because, like, the line that they were trying to use on you was like, it's just us gals. Um, Like, let down your boundaries does not actually mean that by saying no, and in fact, I no longer want to talk to you, means you're contributing to, like, any kind of, like, bad political messaging. Like, you don't have to counteract the bad political messaging of all trans feminine people should be punished uh, with this particular closeted person has tried to get me to send naked pictures a lot and I don't want to and they don't listen to me when I say no, but I need to bend over backwards to like make up for some cosmic error. You absolutely don't. That's not how anything works. No, and I think it's, you know, obviously like the time we're living in right now is so loaded and like scary and I think there's like satanic panic kind of again about like trans people and like gay groomers and things like that. And I think I respect and I appreciate the concern that you're talking about, but like this has nothing to do with the outside world. This is like just you not feeling comfortable and someone not hearing that. Right. And you're not in a position like no one's like calling you and saying like, we're going to fire this person and like cut them out from all community. Like you're not in any position to cause them harm. Um, So when you say if queer people don't extend each other grace, who else is going to, you know, that's a lovely sentiment. And I would just encourage you to take this one out of the conversation of extending each other grace, because I think at least in the model you're sort of discussing, um, one thing that is required is like willingness to respect other people's boundaries on, on both sides. You are not trying to cut this person off from community. You are not trying to make sure nobody gay ever talks to them again. Um, you're not like taking away their right to someday, like, come out or, or, you know, like take any steps that they want to around their identity. You're simply saying, as long as you keep demanding naked pictures and hitting on me, I'm not going to talk to you. And so like grace would not in this like context be like, yeah, keep sexually harassing me. Like that's not grace. That's just continued sexual harassment. So really let go of this fear that you're like in a position to cause this like asshole harm. Yeah. And I, I think like telling someone to leave you the fuck alone is not political. It's just like, there's nothing. It's just you respecting your own boundaries. Right. And this person is not doing that. So you have to take it upon yourself to like remind them that they have to. And I, and I, it's hard. It's, I know it can be, it's easier said than done. We've all been in positions where that sort of thing, it's, it's hard to navigate that, but you have to just, 
hear yourself and voice that because yeah, no one's going to come for you. The, you know, the, the queer, the queer brigade isn't going to barge down your door and be like, that wasn't right. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't politically correct. Like that's not going to happen. You just have to like look out for yourself. And it sounds like you're already on the way to doing that. Right. Right. And so the only really advice that I would offer you letter writer is, you know, that line where you say you're comfortable holding the truth in both these experiences I would say stop. I would say hold your truth. I think your truth is true. And I think that their version of events is a fucked up way to try to manipulate you out of saying no. So hold your truth. And if like truly, like which is your best judgment, like evaluate the truth that like this person has offered you. It smells like bullshit. It smells like a lot of bullshit. It smells like just an easy way to excuse toxic behavior. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, hold on to that truth close to you because that's what you, you know, honor that. I, it's, I'm, I'm like almost at a loss for like this person, this other person's like rationalizations. Right. I mean, I, right. I get, I get, like it's, it feels, yeah, it just feels cheap. Mm-hmm. And and I think letter writer, if there's ever parts of you that feels like I'm worried, this plays into like scary tropes about trans women and people. I, I think the way that you can kind of like. Um, truth test that one is just say like this is a pretty like girl lesbian way of harassing someone and girls and lesbians and bi women are capable of harassing people like yeah. so if if some of the underlying fear is like if somebody was harassing me then that must have something to do with some sort of like underlying you know harassment essence which only belongs to like masculinity or men or guys and it's just like I think that's maybe the thing here that needs to be rooted out is just this idea of like, well, you know, uh, obviously, if you were harassing me, then it must mean that your trans feminine identity is somehow suspect. And it's just like, nope, every identity can harass people and does. Um, There's no group that's exempt. There's no identity that's exempt. Uh, It doesn't disqualify you from your own identity. It just means that you are your identity and you're harassing someone you need to stop. Um, and so again, like regardless her, of her identity, if she was saying like, this is just cute girl stuff between us girls, it would be wrong. Yeah, there's, and I, I forget it too, but there's so many truths. It, it's not just one or the other. And I think also like, if you do explain this, if you do tell this person how you're feeling, they might learn something from it. And, you know, if, if they are closeted, it's, you know, it sounds like they're, they have limited contact with like the queer community or the trans community. Like maybe they'll hear what you're saying and like, it'll just help them grow and push them to like reach out more and become more. I mean, that's a, that's like a best case scenario for this. I I Um, do think I will push back against that just because I think that's like a genuinely sweet place to come from. But I don't think this is a question of growth. I think the letter writer also says like, you know, I, I think that the problem is a lack of language. I don't think it's a lack of language. You know, letter writer says, I was really clear about my boundaries, no pictures and platonic interactions. And then yeah, they didn't you respect don't really that. Owe, you don't, I, that was... They know what they're doing. Yeah. They know what they're doing. You are not insufficiently clear. They're not so closeted that they don't know how to treat people well yeah, with respect. I'm, I always like, I had a teacher once in college that during one of my intro to creative writing class, I would always like defend everyone's stories. And she would go, she would go, here he is, the great defender. Oh, that's very kind. And, but I shouldn't be defending. This is not, this is just, I guess I was seeing that 
I guess I was, I too was sort of duped by this person's like, I'm closeted. I'm scared. You know, yeah, feel bad for me. Let me step on your toes. I was not, I too was, was, was warped by that. But again, you don't owe this person anything. They can fuck off. Yeah, no, and I I appreciate, I do. And I think that's part of why this person has been able to, like, you know, hurt this letter writer on more than one occasion is really playing on the fact that, like, a lot of queer people will go out of their way to help somebody who's in the closet because they really feel for them and they know what that experience is like. Um, And that's inexcusable. It's not, we've, lots of people have been closeted and not done something like this. Right, right. And especially given, like, they did this in middle school, they did it again. You Seems were like clear from jump. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think if they it were— They need to go get help. Yeah, if it were a question of just, like, explaining it one more time better, it already would have gotten through to them. Uh, they're doing this on purpose, and they need to knock it off, and they don't need you in order to stop doing the wrong thing. I think that's really the key here is, like, there's no— you know, it, it, don't worry if there's part of you that's just like, I just wasn't clear enough. I just didn't say it the perfect way. Um, that's not— that's not how this works. And just give yourself freedom to hold your own truth and block that number. And you know, my last words is like, take this very compassionate, empathetic view that you seem to have as a person. And like, you share that with like friendships that are, that can give it back to you and are healthy. And like, you know what I mean? Like there's so many other people out there that deserve the compassion and empathy that you seem to be giving this person. So, you know, there's a lot of, that to give and a lot of that to get. And this person doesn't seem to be working in that department. So I think move on. Yeah, absolutely. Take that empathy, use it with other people, uh, other people who might need help coming out, other people who might need help dealing with the world. Um, there's lots and lots of room for you to do that. But the the idea about combating the idea that like trans femininity is inherently suspect is not the same thing as saying no trans feminine person has ever harmed anyone else. Yeah, um, which would just be a totally unreasonable burden to place on any like it's group. So sinister. No, and it's it's like always uncomfortable to talk about because I always want to be like, hey, like gay and trans people like have it rough. Like, let's not talk about when we, we do have it abuse. rough. But yeah. there are people in having that rough. There are people that are not good. So it's it's true. Well, I I think that's all I've got on that one. And I would love as a sort of uh, palate cleanser to hear about some, something that was both sexy and unique. And I'm wondering if you can speak to anything along those lines. Oh my gosh. Um, Sexy, unique podcast is the podcast I co-host with Laura Marie Shanehalls. We are both LA based writers, comedians, Laura Marie Shanehalls an Oklahoma queen. Um, She's a, one of my best friends. We just, you know, she'd had the pod for a little, a while before I came on as like a permanent guest host or permanent co-host, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but she started it to cover Vanderpump Rules and like talk about it in like a funny, but also poignant way. Because it is, there's so much humanism in these shows and just like the staring into the abyss to be dissected. And then we started recapping other reality shows and just it's really just us talking about like the state of everything and pop culture and what's happening and celebrities being cringe and social media. So it's just sort of like a I described it recently as like a spirit Halloween with the diptyque booth inside it. 
that, that is truly beautiful. That's like when um, some species like steal old hermit crab shells and you get like two totally different entities in one. Yeah, it is very high. It's very like hybrid piggybacking. Um, I love some high, but I love, love, love low too. So I go, I love, we like to vacillate between them. That sounds truly, truly beautiful. And uh, I'm so glad to think of you being, uh, do you have a favorite diptyque smell? My wife is like insanely into diptyque. Uh, and she has like a hierarchy of smells. Well, she and I need to get together and peruse a diptyque store because I, I'm currently wearing, I have three and it's like, here's the thing. Like I'm, I, I pretend like I can afford this, but like, I don't live a life. I don't have a life where I can like easily afford diptyque, but I do, I find ways to do it. You know what I mean? Whether that be just being like fucking broke for a few weeks. Like I will, I make sacrifices <laughs> to feel lux sometimes and it's all i have you know sometimes it's all i have to get a dip tea candle or to get some cologne but i love rose scent or e capital which is sort of a oh. rose patchouli and it's very just like you know you're walking in it's like classic you're walking into just like upscale gift shop or something and someone some stately elegant woman is, has, was just walked by you and you're like, what were you wearing? You know, it's like one of those things. It is truly unreal. It's, isn't it crazy? I've been inside a handful of Diptyque stores and every time I've walked in, I just feel immediately like something's happening inside my entire body. And I don't know if it's okay or not, but I need to sit down. It's not okay, but they fucking do it anyway. And then I always fall for it. They're the most powerful smells. They really are. It's just, it's true head turning smell. Like for years, I've been trying to find my own scent. And I grew up wearing polo blue because my mom is a very preppy person and just wanted me. My dad wore polo, so I just always wore polo. But mm-hmm. I kind of grew out of it. And I think as I got and came into myself as like who I am as a person, I was like, that just doesn't, that's, that's not right for me. I, I thought Clinique Happy was the best a person could smell. And I still might think that. I haven't smelled it in a while, but I bet if someone got me some, my mom I, wears would, a, I would still agree. It's like I thought that was a boy smell. She wore it on her hand. Like wow. She wore it like she got like the cream, I think, for her hands. What an innovator. She's an innovator. Um, but yeah, it just I've just been experimenting and I think I'm in recovery. And I think it's just like it's very soothing for me to like just collect smells and like go to a candle store. There's one in West Hollywood called Candle Delirium. Did you ever go there? I've never been to Candle Delirium, but I can absolutely co-sign the whole once you're in recovery, you either really get into like expensive smells yeah. or eating gas station candy or like some weird intense hobby that involves like ingestion at a really intense rate. Well, I do all of that. So like I'm, I'm I cover the, ba- again, the spirit Halloween, dipti- like I'm covering all the bases, but yeah, I just like, it's this candle store in Santa Monica, like near where Fubar used to be. And it's just like, this is for all you. <laughs> West Hollywood heads listening out there. Everyone else listening is like, please shut up. Um, but I think actually people find it really relatable. And that yeah. this show should more often like veer away from giving advice to people and just into rating expensive candles. It's, it's This place is a haven and I go in there and it's it's lofty and they just, it's decked out. They're always very seasonal. It's somewhat appalling decorations. It's just so like, yay! You know, like you just, you walk in and you're like, ah, you know, and it's, it's just, it's it happening. Has, it's all happening. It feels apocalyptic, but also like things are going to be better. It's all the feelings in one store anyway. 
But yeah, I love diptyque. <laughs> I love, I just love smelling. <laughs> love to smell. I love to smell good. Carrie, thank you so much for going up to the buffet with us today. Uh, I thank can't you, tell Danny. you how much I appreciate it. I'm so, so fun to be on. Thank you so much again for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And if I'm ever in LA and I need a meeting in a diptyque candle store, I'm going to hit you up. All right. I'll, t- I'll be your guide. Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with the guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Again, I think it would be absolutely fine, even if you're not super close with this aunt. Like, you can absolutely just check in and be like, hey, wanted to make sure, like, what the story was there. Because it would be a little weird if she legally changed her name but wanted everyone to still call her Karen. Maybe it's not unheard of, and I suppose it's possible that she only wants to change it with new people and is fine with her family or whatever. But you can find this out. It's not that weird to call. Go ahead and call, like... I think one of the things that can be strange about something like this is you start to realize like, oh, I'm an adult now. I don't actually have to have my relationship with all my relatives mediated through my parents, but I don't necessarily want to be besties with anyone. But you can absolutely call, find out. It doesn't have to get to the level of like a huge fight with everybody. But by all means, if she has changed her name and she wants people to call her by her new name and everyone's being kind of a dillweed about it, you know, you can be in her corner and encourage them not to be. And, like, hopefully she didn't change it to something that she'll have to change it again. Like, hopefully she didn't go from Karen to Missy Ann. (laughs) To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.